you've been with us, you know we are in Matthew's Gospel. And the portion of Matthew's Gospel we're in is called the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' most famous sermon, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. Today we're at the end of Matthew chapter 5, and Jesus, here's what he's doing. He does this six times. He is saying this, here's what you've heard from the religious leaders. So the religious leaders, they are teaching how to understand to live a godly life. They're coming from the Old Testament, but here's their problem. They're misapplying the Word of God. They're using it for their own purposes. And Jesus is taking that inaccurate understanding of who God has called us to be, and he's bringing a corrective to it. And the corrective is not only mentally... It's a heart correction. What Jesus is doing in the Sermon on the Mount is what some would call heart surgery. He's working on people's hearts. And when God works on your heart, it's uncomfortable. It hurts. It doesn't always feel good. And the Sermon on the Mount is not intended to make Jesus' listeners pat themselves on the back and feel good about themselves. It's meant to make them holy, more like Christ, to work on their hearts so they can more fully live how God has called them to live. So it's a beautiful passage. And Jesus has said so far four times you have heard it said, but I say, and today we get the final two. So he's saying, here's what you've heard. I'm going to tell you how to properly interpret it, how to properly understand it. He's bringing that corrective. And today we get some of the most known passages by non-believers. Things like eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. A lot of times people outside the church know those passages. And we get a passage that says, turn the other cheek. So Jesus is going to give us those today. But again, we have to recognize he's dealing with the heart here. So let's stand up and uh, read the Word of God. We're in Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 through 48. If you would, please, you can follow along on your uh, Bibles or your devices. The words will also, Scripture will also be on the screen. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I I say to you, do not resist one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him take your cloak as well. And if someone forces you to go one mile, you go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. You've heard that it was said... You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes the sun to rise on evil and on good. And he sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers... What more are you doing than others? Do not even Gentiles do the same? You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. This is the word of God for the people of God. And all God's people said, praise be to God. You may be seated. 
God, your word says, says that all men are like grass and all our glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but your word, O oh Lord, stands forever. And may this be the word that is preached today. Recognize that unless you speak, nothing of any significance will be spoken here today. So speak, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, Jesus starts with these words. You have heard it said, and here's what you've heard. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. That comes directly from the Old Testament. We see it in Leviticus 20, or Exodus 21, Leviticus 24, Deuteronomy 19. And here's what was going on. If somebody did something to you, they were misusing this to go and personally take vengeance. To personally take revenge. Now, some of us may not think of ourselves as vengeful people. Most people don't. But within each of us, within our flesh, when someone hurts you, when, when someone does something you don't like, when someone does something that brings you pain, your fleshly response is, I want them to feel that pain too. I want them to sting. I, I want them to hurt. And in the Old Testament, it speaks of eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Now, what they were doing in Jesus' day, the religious leaders were taking this so literally if a person uh, punched you, in the, you know, you would go punch them back. You would do literally what they had done to you, but the problem was it often escalated. You see, this passage was not meant for personal justice. It was not meant for you to go to another person and go, you hit me, I'm going to hit you right back. You hurt me, I'm going to make sure I find a way to hurt you back. It's not what this passage is about. It's about, it was given to Israel the nation for a civil society saying, in the court, if somebody has hurt you, when you go to them, justice should be brought by the officials. So this isn't you personally going, hey, somebody hurt me, I'm going to go hurt them back. This is somebody's done a wrong, and it's brought before the leaders of the nation of Israel, and they help settle the matter in a just way. Actually, eye for eye, tooth for tooth is merciful. Because here's what would happen. Someone steps on your foot. So you go and you kick them in the shin. Well, then they come back to you and they hit you in the stomach. You hit them in the face. And pretty soon, someone's burning someone's house down and someone's killing somebody's family. It escalates. You see, whenever we take matters into our own hands, it almost always escalates because we're not good at administering personal justice. We'll go beyond We'll go beyond what is required. We'll go beyond the measure. So, no, this is for the nation to administer this. So Jesus is pointing this out. This is what you've heard, but you're misapplying it. In the Old Testament, there's a story in Genesis chapter 35 of two brothers, the sons of Jacob, the sons of Israel. Their name is Levi and Simeon, and their sister Dinah, is attacked and raped by a man named Shechem. And Shechem says, I want to marry your sister now. Now, in this culture, in the ancient world, this is awful, but it's the way this culture worked. If a woman was taken advantage of by a man in this way, tragically, she would often marry that man. 
Because in that culture, they would often say, no one else will have anything to do with you, so she would end up marrying him. So this man, Shechem, takes advantage of their sister and then comes and says, let me marry her. So these two boys, they say, well, we were fine with your sister marrying you, but you're not like us. You've got to be circumcised. So all the men of the village of Shechem, they're circumcised, and then these two boys, Simeon and Levi, come and kill everybody in the village. Genocide. They escalate it. What happened to their sister was awful, but they took justice into their own hands. And Jesus is pushing back against this. Verse 39, here's what Jesus is going to say. And Jesus is going to give us five examples So we get five examples of what we're to do instead of eye for eye, tooth for tooth, taking justice into our own hands. And here the first one, he says, "Um, do not resist, but I say to you, do not resist evil. But if someone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Here Jesus is saying, you do not take personal revenge. You don't go and take vengeance into your own hands. It's not up to you. No, you do the opposite. If someone slaps you on, the, on your cheek, eye for eye, tooth for tooth would be, I'm going to slap them right back. No, you do the exact opposite. You turn to them the other cheek. Now, Jesus is getting to the heart. Be careful as we walk through this of turning this into a literal checklist. Someone Strikes my cheek, I'm going to instantly go, hey, well, get this one too, because, you know. No, it's not a literal checklist. It's a heart issue. Your heart issue is you are not seeking personal revenge. No, you're looking to, uh, for the good of that person who's even brought you harm. Now, some Christians have used this passage to say nobody should ever go to war, that nobody should join the military, that no Christian should join the police force, I think that's a um, misapplication of this text. In fact, Jesus, the night he would be betrayed, the night before he goes to the cross, he is slapped. He is hit. The high priest lays a hand on Jesus. And Jesus doesn't turn to him and go, well, hey, you know, get me on the other side. No, Jesus doesn't retaliate, though. Jesus is the perfect example of this. He doesn't seek personal revenge. Now, Our society loves revenge. Think about any movie you watch, nearly any television show. One of the predominant themes is somebody's hurt somebody and they're getting them back. And we celebrate that. We're entertained by that. Someone who's been hurt and they're going to take vengeance into their own hands, they're seen as a hero on television. So we have to realize our flesh Our flesh wants to take matters into our own hand when somebody hurts you. This can come into our homes. Husband, wife. One of you does something that hurts the other person. You want them to know you're hurt. So you do something back. Children. A brother hurts a brother. A sister hurts a sister. And they want them to know you hurt me. How am I going to let you know? I'm going to retaliate. I'm going to take matters into my own hand. That's how the flesh pulls us to live. But that's not what Jesus calls us to live. We don't live that way. Christ doesn't pull us toward that. So the first example he gives us here 
is one of not retaliating. He's concerned with your attitude toward that other person. In the Sermon on the Mount, here's what Jesus is dealing with. Your relationship with God, your relationship with others. And your relationship with others should not be to retaliate. So when someone hurts you in your place of work, you don't go, how can I hurt them back? Someone hurts you in your home, how can I get them back? Someone hurts you in your neighborhood, how can I get them back? No. We want to have healthy relationships with one another. We want to say, how can I reconcile with that person that's hurt me? That's the way Jesus is call, what Jesus is calling us to do. Now in verse 40, he gives another example, second example. And if someone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. In this second G example, Jesus is speaking to the issue of generosity. He's going to give three examples actually that deal with a generous heart. So that's a big portion of what he's talking about here, that oftentimes whenever we've been done wrong, we want to do somebody else wrong, but he's saying, hey, you be generous. Somebody takes something from you, you be willing to be generous in return. Now, he's not saying that there's not a time that when someone has done us wrong, that we don't involve others to help us. Some of you have been in those situations. Somebody's done you wrong. You've had to step in and say, hey, I need help walking through this to be reconciled to this person. We're, we're not reconciled. And let me tell you, when you're not reconciled to somebody, you know it, they know it, people around you know it, it doesn't feel right. So he's saying pursue that over your material goods, over your material gains. Your relationship with a person made in the eternal image of God is more valuable than these things. Now, Paul gives an example of Christians. We're not to be pursuing lawsuits with other Christians. We're to seek to resolve it in other way. And, and, and certainly there's times that Christians don't behave like Christians, that we go and people do those things, and those are hard situations. But again, he's saying, don't take that personal vengeance. This person took them. You don't rush to court. You don't rush to go sue them. If they're a follower of Christ, you're seeking to bring reconciliation and restore that relationship. That's what your heart should be. Jesus says, or Proverbs, and the scripture says in Proverbs, Proverbs is wisdom for living. It says, it, good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is to his glory to overlook an offense. To overlook an offense of another person is a glorious thing. That doesn't mean it's easy, but it's glorious because it's a godly thing. That's what Christ did for us. He overlooked our offense. So when we do that to others, we're extending them the love of Jesus in doing that. First uh, Peter 3.9 says, Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. This is who we're to be. Third example, verse 41. If someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. So here's what was happening. A soldier... And the Roman Empire could come up to somebody, anybody in the empire, and they could say, I need you to carry my stuff. And you were required to do it. But there was limitations. You could only carry it so far. And Jesus is saying, hey, you don't just do the minimum. You be willing to go further. You do more than's expected. You do more than's required. 
That's the type of heart we're to have. Let me ask you, is that your heart attitude? In your homes, how can I serve my spouse more than what she expects or what he expects? How can I love my parents and help them more than they expect? In your places of work, it's common for people to have this attitude. What's the least I can do at my job and still get paid and not lose my job and stay in this position? That is not the attitude of a Christ follower. That's a worldly attitude. No, we're to be people who say, hey, when I show up at the place of work, everybody should look and go, that person's a blessing to us all. They go further. They're willing to be taken advantage of. They're willing to serve. They do more than's expected. They don't say, what's the minimum I need to do and I'm going to do the minimum. They look and they go, what's, how far can I go? How much can I do? That's the heart attitude of a Christian. So Jesus is saying, hey, if someone comes and says, hey, you're required to go one mile. That's your requirement. He says, you go beyond that requirement. That's the way we live. That's the way we interact with one another. That's the way we love people. I'll tell you, if you, in your places of work, in your marriages, in your neighborhoods, if you live with this attitude... I'm going to do more. I'm not just going to do the minimum. I'm not just going to go as low as I can go. I'm going to see how much further I can go. You will be counted as a blessing among those around you. And to the non-follower of Christ, they're going to look and say, what's up with that person? There's something unique about them. And it's going to be toward God's glory. It's one of the great testimonies. So the soldier the idea here is going further than expected. Now in verse 42, he gives two examples. And as we walk through the Sermon on the Mount, these you have heard it said, but I say to you, I'll be honest with you, this week's one is the one I've wrestled with the most. I've had to get a lot of help. I've read a lot of commentaries. I've went to a lot of brothers and sisters in Christ and said, hey, help me understand this. How does this work? What does this look like? How do you interpret this? How do we see this? Because I don't want to be changing Jesus' words, but all Scripture is God-breathed. And we use Scripture to interpret Scripture. So I want to be faithful to do that. And Jesus, here's who he's speaking to. He's speaking to hard-hearted religious leaders who are doing the minimum, who don't want to help anybody, who want to follow the letter of the law but not the heart of it. They just want to appear self-righteous for others, but they have no desire to truly be a blessing. Jesus is dealing with that heart in this. And here in verse 42, he says, Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. I mentioned this several times, that one of the great blessings I have each week is I sit down with a uh, a group of uh, men here on our staff and some others, and we walk through the passage. And I'll tell you, it's a far bigger blessing to me than it is to them. They, they, they give a gift to me, they give a gift to the church as we do that, because I ask them, hey, how does this apply in different parts of the world? How does this apply in different cultures? I, I need to understand this, because I don't want to lead people astray. I want to be faithful to God's word and to preach the word, but I realize uh, we all come with cultural context and we can easily uh, hear something and misunderstand it. Well, he says, give to the one who begs from you. Has anybody in here 
I asked it the other way first service. First service said, hey, is, who's had somebody beg from you? And I think it short-circuited everybody because everybody has. Is there anybody in here who's never had somebody beg from them? No one. We've all experienced somebody coming and begging from us. And as we live here, that's, that's a common occurrence that we experience quite often. Now, how many of you have given to the one who begs of you every time? I don't think any of us have. We've all had people come and beg, come and ask, come and beg of us, wanting something. We feel that tension. Our heart wants to help, but we don't know if we should. And Jesus here, he says, give to the one who begs from you. Is he saying give to everyone? No, he doesn't say everyone. Does he say give every time? No, he doesn't say every time. Now, I want to be careful of lessening anything Jesus says. As we were talking, uh, somebody said to me this week, they said, you know, we hired in my neighborhood. We hired a man to do a job and to watch our neighborhood and to do certain things. He came to us two weeks later and he said, hey, I'm not going to work for you anymore. I get more money begging at the church up the road. So I'm going to keep doing that. A professional beggar. There are those who this becomes a profession for. I tell you, it's a God-honoring thing to work. And sometimes people can't find jobs. Sometimes people are in truly desperate situations. And those who do this take make it hard for those who are in truly desperate situations to get the help they need because they're taking advantage of other people's generosity. See, Jesus in these last two examples, he's getting to your heart. Is your heart generous? Are you willing to help others and serve others? Hebrews 13, 16 says, Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices is, are pleasing to God. We're to be willing to share. We're to have a generous heart. But I think each of us know this. If we gave to every single person who begged, if we walk out of here and we go, here's how I'm going to apply this text. Anybody who begs, I give to. Everybody in here will lose all they have. We'll no longer be able to feed their family. We'll no longer be able to have shelter because we will give it all away. It is a God-honoring thing to work. It's a God-honoring thing to take care of your family. And it's a God-honoring thing to be generous. I mentioned I, I read a lot of commentaries this week. Again, because I don't want to lessen in any way anything Jesus says. But we can be faithful to the total of Scripture. Uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones, he wrote a commentary on the Sermon on the Mount. And his commentary among pastors is perhaps the most beloved. I want you to hear what he says about this passage. He says, Our Lord does not encourage us here to help frauds or professional beggars or drunkards. I put it like this plainly because we all have these experiences. A man comes to you under the influence of drink and asks you to give him some money. Although he wants it for a, although he says he wants it for a night's lodging, you know he will go immediately and spend it on drink. Our Lord does not tell us to encourage or help such a man. He is not even considering that. 
What he is considering is the tendency of a man because of self and a self-centered spirit not to help those in real need. I want you to hear that last sentence. What he's considering is the tendency of a man because of self and a self-centered spirit to not help those in need. So again, the, the real issue we're looking at here is, are you generous? Do you desire to help those in need? Do you look at how you can do that wisely? I've wrestled with that a lot here. My first few months here, it seemed like daily I had somebody come to the office that I didn't know. Maybe they heard there was a new pastor in town and they're coming to tell me their stories and ask for things. And I want to help, <laughs> but I have no idea who they are or what the real need is. So even here at IC, we, we are a generous church, I believe. We want to continue to be generous. We want to push more out into our community to help these needs. But we took a group and we said, hey, we're going to put a, when a need comes about, we need to pray and assess and look and say, hey, is this a need that God is calling us to meet? Is this even a real need or is this a person just looking to somehow take advantage? It's difficult. I'm not saying it's easy. But Jesus is dealing with the heart. So a couple mistakes we can make. If you look and you go, hey, I have to give every single time. I don't think Jesus is saying that. But if you look and you go, hey, I don't have to give. I've got to make sure the person isn't going to go spend it on something I wouldn't approve of. or Anyway, so I'll never give. I think that those things can be misapplied too. Now it's a generous heart that Jesus is looking at. Now he says, here he says, do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Now probably some of you here have had people borrow from you. Seek to borrow something. Several weeks ago I had a man who flagged me down at a stoplight and he came up to me and he said, hey, I live in your neighborhood. I'm, I'm, I, 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 uh, uh, nice to meet you, I live there. And he did, that's all he said. Just met me and Margaret. A few weeks later, I'm pulling around an intersection. He comes and runs up to my car and taps on my car and goes, Hey, hey, can, can you give me a ride? I live in your neighborhood. So I give him a little bit of a ride. And as I take him, about to let him out, he stops and he pulls out this book and he says, Well, I'm collecting money for our neighborhood uh, sports team. And he starts going through this book. He goes, Do you recognize any of these names? And he's got pages upon pages upon pages of names. And finally, he comes to some names I recognize. I know those people. They go to church here. I know them. So he says, well, you write your name down here. So I write my name and I give him a gift. Well, a few weeks later, I pull around. And there he is. And he comes running up to my car. And he's nicely dressed. He looks very presentable. He doesn't look like what we would call a beggar. And he taps in and he gets in my car again. And as we're driving, he says, tells me this story of how someone in his family needs money for medical help. I have no idea if it's true or not, but the amount he asked me for, for many people, would be a half year's wages. It's a very large amount. So I said to him, well, I don't have that money with me. He says, well, we'll go to your house. I said, well, I don't have it in my house. He says, well, we'll go to the bank. And I said, and he knew I was, he knew I pastored here. You know, I'm thinking this guy knows who I am. I want to be respectful and represent 
Christ in an honoring way. But I said, um, you know, our church, we have a way of processing needs. We have some things we'd love to help you. Because he said, hey, loan me the money today. It's Thursday. I'll pay you back on Tuesday. And I go, what's going to change between today and Tuesday? Four days. So when I told him I wouldn't do it, he got very upset and got out of the car. Uh, I haven't seen him since. The, um, I processed that with several of you who are from Ethiopia, and several people told me, he said, no, we think that's a sham. We think that that guy was seeking to take advantage of you. That was, I got that consistently. And then even after first service here today, someone came up to me and said, hey, I know that guy. He's done the same thing to me. So if you see my name in a book and someone says, hey, do you know these guys? You go, Pastor Steve gave to this guy. Sorry. <laughs> Don't believe it. Be careful. Listen, Scripture has a lot to say about lending and borrowing. Proverbs 11.15 says this, Whoever puts up security for a stranger will surely suffer harm. But he who ate striking hands in a pledge is secure. So Scripture says it's not wise to, to put up a loan for someone who you don't know. Proverbs 17, 18 says, The one who lacks sense gives a pledge and puts up a security in the presence of his neighbor. Proverbs 22, 26, and 27 says, uh, uh, Do not one of those who gives pledges who put up security for debts. If you have nothing with which to pay, why should your bed be taken from under you? He's saying this, why, why would you loan to somebody in such a way that it, you, you can't feed your family, you can't take it? I think that's not wise. I had someone tell me this week, they said they had given someone a loan and that that person had never paid it back and it had really impacted their relationship with one another. You see, to the borrower, Scripture has a lot to say. So if you are looking to borrow money from somebody, know that Scripture takes this very, very, very seriously. Look at what uh, Psalm says, Psalm 37, 21. It says, the wicked borrows but does not pay it back. But the righteous is generous and gives. To the person who borrows with no intent to pay that money back, Scripture calls that wicked, ungodly. That's not what we do as Christians. It's better not to do that way. We don't tell somebody, hey, I'm a bar and I have no intent of ever paying you back. Ecclesiastes 5.5 says it's better that you should not vow than you should vow and not pay. No, Scripture takes these things very seriously. Our word, Jesus has spoken of our word and how we do approach people. So in this room, I suspect there are those who borrowed perhaps without the intent to pay back. Go reconcile that relationship. Go make things right. And there's those who've had people borrow from you and you know they may never pay you back and you feel like you have to every time. No, uh, one person said to me, hey, I'm going to help people, but I'm going to loan them a amount I feel comfortable with if they don't give it back. I, I want to help people, and if I see it as a true need, I'm going to help. I want to be generous. But a lot of times people are just asking for things that they would be comfortable with to make their life easier. Now, these are hard issues. Again, I, I've wrestled with this throughout the week. 
We have to be careful of turning this into a checklist, as I mentioned earlier. This is, Jesus is speaking to the heart. Are you generous? Do you give? Do you sacrifice? Are you willing to do that? That's the heart issue. It's not that you give to every single person. But you should look and say, God, how can I take the resources you've given me and use them for your purposes, for your glory, to help those in need when I see a desperate situation, Lord? How can I help out? How are you calling me to do these things? This is meant to make Jesus' followers, they were uncomfortable. These are hard things. But here in the next one, in, in verse 43, he says, here's what you've heard. In this last one, we'll be a little quicker. You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Love your neighbor is biblical. Hate your enemy is not biblical. Scripture doesn't say that, but that's what they had heard. Hate your enemy. And he gives two examples of their enemies on down in verse 46 and 47. The tax collector. For the Jewish people, the tax collector was one of their greatest enemies. Collecting taxes for a foreign oppressive government of Rome. They hated that person. Do you remember who's writing this letter? Writing this book? A former tax collector named Matthew. And he's writing it to the people that would have considered him an enemy. Even in Matthew writing this book to the Jewish people, he is seeking to do what Jesus has called him to do, to make that relationship right, to go and, and to reconcile. And then Gentiles. Gentiles, anybody who is non-Jewish, and they bleed all Gentiles as their enemy. Jesus says, love your enemies. That's what he says in verse 44. I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who would persecute you. Where I come from in the United States, I think a lot of people would view their enemy as the Muslim. It's often who people perceive an enemy to be. Why? Because the news, all we see is terror, destruction, Terrorism, and it often gets associated with someone who's a Muslim. By God's grace, um, where I lived in, in, in Memphis, I, uh, before moving here, I lived in a neighborhood that was um, filled with Jewish people and Muslims. Out of 50 houses, our house was the only house that was an evangelical Christian house. So we felt quite a burden for our neighborhood. And I had many friends that were Muslim and they would tell me, hey, everybody seems to hate us. We're not like that. And what I realized is, yes, there are some extremists, but that's less than 1%. Very few, most Muslims are not looking to kill and destroy. There are some who are. But here's what I've also realized about us as Christians we aren't looking and saying, how can I share the good news of Jesus with them? We often aren't looking going, okay, if I consider them an enemy, Jesus says to love them. Maybe they persecute you. He said to pray for those who persecute me. So how can I pray for them? How can I show them love? We're called to do that. Some of you in here, you have neighbors that are Muslims that you've never talked to that you've never met, you've never said a kind word to, now we're to pray. We're to be willing to share and talk. We're to be willing to be, build a relationship. No, whoever we look at as our enemy, we're to love. Now for some, our enemy 
Maybe somebody we work with. Last week, when Ernie Fry was visiting, he said, hey, people, he said, I've been on church staffs where two people walk across, walk across from each other and they don't talk to each other. They have so much division between them. And as he said that, I thought, I've been there. I've probably even been a part of that. And I felt that conviction. No, that's not how we live. No. For some people, your enemy's in your house. Maybe it's a spouse. Maybe for children, it's a sibling. Maybe for some, it's a neighbor. No, Jesus says to love our enemy. Jesus is saying, here's how you've heard it said that you're to live. You're trying to keep the letter of the law, but your heart is different. The heart of a Christian is different. And Jesus here, he takes us and he's showing us who he is. You see, who we are, we were born enemies of God. It's not scripturally accurate that you are born a child of God. You were not born a child of God. Scripture says in John 1.12, Yet to those who believed in Him, to those who received Him, He gave the right to be called a child of God. You're adopted as a child of God, but you're born an enemy. You've rebelled. You don't want to do the things God has called you to do. You don't want to love your neighbor. You, you want to live for yourself. And Jesus comes and says, No, you're to love your enemy. That's what Jesus did. He went to the cross for his enemy. He took your sin and my sin upon himself so that he could reconcile our relationship to God. And that's what we do for one another. We love our enemy. You see, so often we get caught up in, hey, am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing instead of loving the person? Seeking to restore and reconcile that relationship. Look at what Jesus says in the final verse of chapter 5. You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. When they heard this, they were to look and go, I can't do it. I can't be perfect. And when you hear that, you go, I desperately need someone to come and save me who can be perfect. Jesus is the only perfect man to ever live. He's the only person to keep the standard of the law perfectly. He's the only person to keep the heart intent of the law perfectly. He's the only person to ever live this way. And when we go through the Sermon on the Mount, we're looking to go, I can't do it. I need help. And Jesus says, I got you. That's why I came was to save you. I came to reconcile your relationship with God. And that's a good glorious, amazing thing. A few things in closing. If you encounter people that are in need, even here at IEC, we'd love to get to know them. Feel free to take them to our information table. We'd love to get their information and, and see how we can help. We, 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 we desire to be generous and to help. We, we try to process those things as wisely as we can. Also know this, ask yourself, are you one who's quick to seek revenge? Are you slow to do more? Do you have a generous heart? This is who we're to be, but you cannot do this on your own. Only by the power of the Holy Spirit living in you can you do this. 
You cannot do this. Your flesh cannot do this. Only God can do this in and through you. And when people see this in you and see you loving your enemy and see you being generous and see you being kind and see you going the extra mile, they're to look and go, praise God for what he's done in that person's life. So I pray that's who we would be. And I believe, church, as we live this way, we taste the great, sweet joy of Jesus Christ. We taste his joy. And his joy is far sweeter and greater and better than anything this world can ever offer. So church, I pray that we live out these things, not by our willpower, but by the power of God working in and through us. Let's pray. Uh, God, I confess that um, I've struggled this week as I've went through this passage. I've struggled with the generosity of my own heart and life. I've struggled with the fact that there's times that I want someone to feel hurt when they've hurt me, be it in subtle ways. I struggle with the fact that I'm a sinner and I'm seeing my sin in ways I don't always see it. Lord, I thank you that you forgive me, that you forgive any who will ask through your son, Jesus, who was perfect, who lived a perfect life that we could not live. And Lord, I know there's those here today who, who wrestle with these same things that we all wrestle with, that we struggle with. Lord, may we pursue right relationship with one another. Lord, may we Heed the words of Jesus Christ, realizing we can't do them but by you. And may it cause us to run and cling tightly to you. May we be a generous people. But Lord, help us also to be wise. Lord, may we be a forgiving people. Help us not to seek justice for ourselves, but to seek to the ultimate place of injustice, and that's the cross where you died for our sins. And when we experience injustice, may we be reminded that you did too, and yet you give us what we don't deserve in yourself. May we live out of that power. God, if there's any here today who have not trusted you, would you awaken their eyes to life? Would the gospel seed take root and grow? We pray these things in the name of our Savior, Jesus. Amen.